They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com and iTunes? That's right, bitches. We're on iTunes now. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast, SoundCloud.com, and itunes Subscribe on iTunes, download on iTunes. They approved us. Finally. <laughs> Finally. What's up, Johnny Mita? What's up, man, Joey? I'm doing all right, bro. I'm doing all right. It's a happy week. Eagles won. It was a little weird. I was, I was getting geeked up for the game. Probably wasn't as normally geeked up as I would be for a season opener, but... You know, I I was trying not to be a hater of the ginger and Poopy Peterson. I was trying to buy in. It was a little tough. I'm not saying I wanted the guy to fail, but, you know, I was just, I wasn't sure what the organization was thinking. But for one week, it shut me up, proved me wrong, and the ginger delivered. 29-10, Eagles win. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, let's talk about what we got for you on this week's episode. All Eagles, basically. We'll talk about the season opening victory over the Browns. We got the debut of Carson Wentz to break down. Plus, we'll have on the fly and the return of the rant, which we haven't had in quite some uh, in quite some time. Mainly because Johnny Meade is fired up about something. We'll have more on that later on the episode. Again, love the support and props on uh, SoundCloud.com and iTunes as well. Email the show Brotherly Love Podcast at Yahoo.com. Brotherly Love Podcast at Yahoo.com. You can check us out on Twitter at BeLovePodcast. Johnny Mita, Eagles 1-0, 29-10, win over the Browns at the link. You were in the house. First of all, how was the atmosphere, my friend? How was the tailgate? How was how was the crowd? Incredible. Like, I haven't heard noise like that in just the excitement level. It was absolutely electric. Really? See, I, and again, I'm not trying to be a hater here, but I kind of feel like that didn't come through on the television set. Now, granted, I had to take a hiatus Midway through the third quarter, I basically paused the game. You know, I had it on record. I shut the phone off. I went off the grid, Jack Bauer 24 style. And for two hours, I went to kids soccer, came back, watched the rest of the game, then powered my phone back on. Because, you know, I I was avoiding people at the soccer field. Like, I had the plague. Like, there were some ladies like, oh, Eagles fans. I would be like, Shut up! Don't tell me what's going on. You know, like I had to, I had to get away. <laughs> so my game was interrupted a bit. So maybe that killed part of the mojo for me. But I didn't really think. I don't know. It was tough to tell through the TV if the crowd was really going bonkers or not. Oh, there's no doubt. When Carson Wentz took the field, you could just feel the energy. Everybody was excited. And then his first drive as a rookie, not grand. I know they're playing in Cleveland, but <laughs> I get it. But they're still an NFL football team. Are they, though? I quit. Are they really? Yes, they are. Right? <laughs> 100%. 
Because if they learn the NFL team, they'd be in town. And Grant, I get it. The competition was at a very low level, but the kid produced, man. And there's so much excitement, so much hope. You saw a performance that you're like, oh my God, okay. We may have a franchise quarterback in mind. Okay. Can you please temper the expectations of hair? Are you kidding me right now? You're already going franchise quarterback? Do I have to remind you? The announcers brought it up, and they were, quite frankly, terrible. Trent Green must have been, you know, hitting the crack pipe before the game. He was awful with his analysis. But, you know, RG3 is on the other sideline. RG3 is the other starting quarterback. Talk about a guy that lit the world on fire when he started, and now he, he stinks. Yeah, well, he stinks because, and I was the big proponent of RG3. Mike Shanahan ruined that kid's career. Ruined it. He'll never be the same. But at the same time, let's just break down what Carson Wentz did in that game. All right, let's do it. 22, 22 of 37, 278 yards, two touchdowns for the ginger. And here's something I found interesting. 11 for 12 on plays where the Browns sent five or more rushers. Yeah, that's huge. You know, what does that tell you? That means, that means number one, he's prepared. Number two, he is so cerebral. Like, the kid is the first person in the building and the last one to leave. Like, for you to come out as a rookie and do that after only playing one preseason game, but let's take it a step farther. So, did you see some of the throws that this guy made? I mean, think about it, right? You have the touchdown pass to Matthews, right? The other pass, or Nelson Aguilar, right? Out of the back room, the cheerleaders make some unbelievable <laughs> catch. He beats Joe Hayden, who's one of the best corners in the National Football League, and he just drops it in a bucket. The other throw that people don't look at, right? Zacher made a tremendous catch, okay? It was great. But if you look at that throw, if Carson Wentz throws the ball inside, it either gets batted away or picked off. Where does he throw it? The only place where his receiver has a chance to catch the ball. I hear you. I Look, mean, he, made, yeah. he made all the throws. He proved he can make all the throws. He was more prepared than I thought he would be. It's one of those happy Gilmore, you were right, I was wrong moments. I didn't know if he'd be ready, and it turns out he was ready to go, uh, even if it was the Cleveland Browns. However, again, let's hold off on anointing him the orange Jesus of Philadelphia because Claude Giroux still plays for your Philadelphia Flyers, and he's the greatest <laughs> ginger in this town right now. Um, look, he didn't seem to get rattled in the moment. Again, seemed prepared, uh, pretty accurate with the football, took some hits that were probably unnecessary. I think, and I could be wrong here, but watching the game unfold, I don't know if he still is obviously, because of the lack of reps and snaps, comprehending the foot speed in the National Football League because I didn't see a ton with his legs like I thought I would. Um, you know, I didn't see him running for first down. Again, I know it's one game. There's time for that, and I think we'll see that. But I don't know that he's going to blow past defenders like he did 
at little old North Dakota State. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. But my whole thing is he doesn't have to run for 10, 15, 20 yards. All he has to do is have the pocket presence to slide one way or the other, buy some time, and give his receivers the chance to get open. And, you know, that's what some of the great quarterbacks do in this league. You know, look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Like, he just sits in the pocket, buys some time, a couple steps to the left, a couple steps to the right, boom, fires. You know? Yeah. That's going to be all famous. So, I'm just saying, like, i got to be honest with you. I've had season tickets for 14 years. That was one of the best home openers that I've ever been to since I've had season tickets. I mean, the first drive alone. Here's what the first drive does for you, Joe. They go down the field. They throw up seven. Can you imagine the confidence that that gives your defense? Yeah, we didn't go back on the field, three and out. Guy comes down, gets a touchdown, and we can ride with this guy. We can play hard for this guy. This guy's a leader. It seemed like he had absolute command of the entire playbook. It seems like, you know, the coaching staff didn't limit him. Like, they didn't limit him and what he could do. And I just thought it was an unbelievable performance. All right, I'm assuming the rest of Philadelphia is drinking the ginger beer like you are, all right? Give me one <laughs> thing that – can you step away for a moment – and give me any type of criticism of Carson Wentz, or are we just going to, you know, I saw you got your Carson Wentz jersey already, so I guess you're just all in. <laughs> I'm definitely all in. Here's the deal, right? He's so young. I'm not telling you that he's not going to have his ups and downs. Any rookie that steps on this field in the NFL, you're going to have your growing pain. It was just unbelievable to see that he had total command. Like, a lot of rookies get flustered. They have to burn a couple timeouts. Why do they burn a couple timeouts? It's due to the fact that either he doesn't think they're in the right play. You know, there were a couple plays where he made checkdowns that he went to a different play, and they were very successful. So, I'm just saying, you couldn't have that better start to rookie season than what he did on the field. I'm not saying we're going to the Super Bowl, but at the same same time, this guy made some throws in that football game that Sam Bradford could never make. Whoa. All right. Let's take it easy. You know how I feel about Sammy Sleeves. All right. There's no way you're telling me Bradford couldn't make that throw to Aguilar Matthews. All right. I don't even want to hear it. Bradford, for all of his limitations – and drawbacks can throw the football accurately, maybe better than any Eagles quarterback in the last decade. Joe, I want you to give me the numbers. What are numbers on the game again? 22 of 37 for 278 with two touchdowns, a couple of drops in there. But look at all the drops Bradford endured last year. The Eagles led the league in drops, didn't they? Understood. But look at the drops. Were there drops because the ball was poorly thrown, or were the drops because the receivers just flat out dropped? Touche. Think about that. Touche. Because drops. Brad Bradford, Listen, some man, of the drops, man. some of the drops last year 
were because, and you and I talked about on this podcast, the ball could have been placed a little bit differently. All right? So I will, you know, Bradford had some accuracy issues that led to some of the drops. But at the end of the day, you can't tell me that any of those throws, I, I'm just not going to buy that Sam Bradford couldn't make any of those throws. I'm not. I'm sorry. Well, I think you're dead wrong. Here's the deal, right? So we had six drops on the game. Let's just say half of those are caught, right? Yeah. That means he's 25 for 37, and most likelihood he is over 300 yards. He has two touchdowns, and he never turned the ball over. Yeah. No, a quarterback rating of 101, man. I'm telling you. I'm look. I'm yeah, more on board. I'm more on board than I was a week ago. For whatever that's worth. Yeah. When's the last time Sam Bradford had a quarterback rating in one one? Look it up. I will. It, yeah, look it up. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I guarantee it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Maybe in that preseason game against Green Bay. All right, enough with said. the preseason game stuff, all right? Enough. Let's get to the game <laughs> balls. Offense and defense game balls. I'm going to start offensively. It is hard not to choose your boy, Carson Wentz, Johnny Mita. But I'm going to reward the offensive line here, especially as you hit on the first drive. Because a rookie QB got a shot of early confidence as I felt the Eagles whooped the Browns at the line of scrimmage on the first couple of series. And I'm also going to give a stick tap to your boy, Poopy Peterson, for calling a pretty decent game. I didn't scream at the television very much over play calls. Yes, I always yell, run the football, run the football, run the football, because I'm a big believer in it. And honestly, he did a lot of running the football. So, uh, nice job there by Poopy Peterson. You won't hear me say that often. Yeah, well, my offense game ball has to go to the receiver. And the receiver struggled throughout the entire preseason. But you got to give big ups to Jordan Matthews. For... You know, one of the first plays of the game, he had the terrible drop. And then from that point on, he just went up balled out. He catches that touchdown pass, and I guarantee you, when he threw that ball against the back of the end zone, that was to tell the Philadelphia fans, stop booing me, I'm here to play. So he had a great day. So my offensive game ball, it's Jordan Matthews because we were looking for the receivers to make plays the entire preseason, and they didn't. And essentially, he set out the entire preseason, and he came on large. And also, we also need to keep in mind is the fact that he played on the outside. Yeah. Which pretty much he has never played in his career. And he came up large. Yeah. He came up large with some huge catches. Look, he is the only guy – that was on the roster last year with the WR under position for wide receiver. And he's the only guy this year, WR for wide receiver, that's worth a damn. And I like DGB. I think Doriel Green Beckham is going to be, you know, if he can get further acclimated to things and they get more snaps, I think he can be a player. Maybe Aguilar shows something this year. Um, but it, you're going to rely on, on Jordan Matthews and when healthy Zach Ertz, and that's going to be the, the predominant part of your passing game, just like it was last year, and Darren Sproles, and that's how the Eagles are going to spin not having two, three, four 
legitimate wide receivers. Not many teams do, but that's how they're going to spin it um, because that's how you know their offense, the West Coast offense, are going to spread the ball around most likely. But I will just add one thing. Josh Huff stinks, okay? I am right back on, not that I ever got off, leading that I am driving that train, all right? He had a he had two moments in a preseason game, and you and I both thought, you know what? Welcome back, Josh Huff, to reality or the, to to having a footprint in the National Football League. Now instead, what, did he even have a catch on Sunday? Do I have to look it up? No. Nah. No, he was in the witness protection. Yes, bro. he stinks. For sure. All right, before we go defensive game balls, just to put this right down your throat, John Mita, your boy Sammy Sleeves, or should I say my boy, week four last year against the Skins in a loss, QB rating of 122.6, week nine a win over the Cowboys, 103.4. You'll remember that he hit none other than Jordan Matthews for the OT touchdown winner, 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 chicken dinner. The following week, a loss to the Dolphins where he was injured, 118.1 is QB rating. And then the final week against the Giants, granted meaningless football, 35-30 to win, he had a 108.3 quarterback rating. Now take quarterback rating and, you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt. But however, four times last year, and he didn't play 16 games, your boy, my boy, Sammy Sleeves, had a QB rating over what your ginger brother Carson Wentz put up on Sunday. So put that in your Sam Bradford pipe and smoke it, Johnny Mita. <laughs> All right, defense. So, so, so. <laughs> no, please. I might as well give you a chance. Go ahead. What, what do you got to say now? No, no, no. There's no chance. You know, you got the internet out of your hands. Look, you I'll say this. Him. It's embarrassing. I, look, thing. it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'll say this. It's embarrassing that he didn't play on Sunday for the Vikings. All right? It is. I know we yeah. just got the town. I know that there's a lot to grasp with the playbook, but Sean Hill is Sean Hill. And the fact that he couldn't get out on the field, that he didn't demand he go out on that field, does tell you something. All right? I will be a Sam Bradford apologist for years to come now because that's my shtick and I'm sticking to it. But if it was Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger or Eli Sheely Manning that had been traded the week of the opener you better believe that those guys would have been out there. Matt Ryan, I mean, right down the line as far as elite quarterbacks go. And I hate saying Eli's elite at anything other than making that pansy face when he's being sacked. All right, defensive game balls. I'm going Jordan Hicks here because, boy, did the Eagles miss Jordan Hicks late last season. Now, Hicks finished with seven tackles on Sunday, but to me, he you know, his deflection of the pass, I'm pretty sure it was him. Again, Trent Green analyst uh, for Fox was like, or CBS, whatever the hell channel game was on, was out to lunch because I don't even think he identified it was Jordan Hicks tipping the ball. I had to watch the replay several times. I'm almost 99.999% sure it was Hicks that tipped the pass that eventually McLeod picked off. And that interception was huge, in my opinion, because the Browns finally had some momentum on their side. So we saw Hicks had that ability uh, you know, was around the ball a lot last year, seemed to have a, a knack for creating turnovers, jumping on fumbles, whatever the case may be, and he picked up right where he left off from his injury-shortened season last year's rookie campaign, tipping that 
eventual interception by McLeod, finishing with seven tackles. And to me, that turnover was huge. And then the Browns became the Browns with bad snaps for safeties and that botched fake paw. I mean, you know, they're the Browns. But to me, Jordan Hicks game ball defensively. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. But uh, you know where I'm going to go with Rodney McLeod? Yeah, there were times where he's lackluster, but isn't it nice that we have another safety in yes. the mix? And a guy that wants that to hit. Like the great parents. Yes. And that's the thing with Rodney McLeod. He can be the most underrated signing of Harry Rosen this offseason. Like this kid, I watched him play at the Rams, right? So he has great range. He can move all over. And the other thing is, he loves to come up and knock somebody out. And that's the thing that's been missing from this Eagles defense. When the Eagles defense was at their highest point, you know, they put fear in the opponent. Like their receivers like, no, nah, I'm not going across the middle because I know I'm getting my head taken off. So I know he did have that one blunder on the pop fly that RG3 threw. And I got mixed up at the time because him and Nolan Carroll kind of had the old number switch. But I think Rodney McLeod is going to make a huge difference in the secondary. So due to the fact that he did have that one pick on the great play, I'm going to Rodney McLeod, and I think he's going to be huge in these next upcoming weeks. All right. Before we take a timeout, our question of the week, you can email us at brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. ESPN is televising the World Cup of Hockey. It starts later this week. Are you going to watch the World Cup of Hockey? Will you watch it on ESPN? Email us, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. Back after this, talk more birds, plus on the fly, and our rant of the week. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast, exclusively on SoundCloud.com. Back on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Going to have to change those liners up, Johnny Mina. We're not exclusively on SoundCloud.com anymore. We got some iTunes love going, iTunes in the house. Yeah, how about it? Uh, we did get some listener feedback. No. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so props to the man they call Wood. All right. On our question from last week about the Eagles record and why. Disclaimer, yeah. Wood is a Steelers fan. Uh, he says, let's Which go with an story. optimistic... <laughs> He says, let's go with an optimistic 7-9. and nine. Eagles will be 7-7 seven and seven coming off a win in Baltimore. Mathematically still alive for a playoff spot, but two straight division losses at home will end the season. So Wood, one of our fine supporters, says Eagles are going 7-9. and nine. He did predict the Super Bowl for us. He says in the NFC it will be Minnesota. The fourth-round pick becomes a second-rounder, securing Howie's Executive of the Year honors. I like that. Sammy Sleeves. And it'll probably be Sean Hill quarterbacking him by then. Uh, in the AFC, he says Pittsburgh. 
Uh, shocker cool. there. Although they did look damn yeah. good last night pounding the Redskins. Uh, he says, Pittsburgh, just because of your reaction last episode when Mita almost said it but changed his answer at the last minute. <laughs> so good stuff from Wood there, who also commented heavily on the Colin Kaepernick situation. May have a chance to touch on that later because that's going to be part of my rant. But if not, appreciate the love and support anyway from Wood out there on SoundCloud.com and now iTunes as well. Again, you can email us, brotherlylovepodcast.yahoo.com. And the question that we'll uh, we'll read some answers back next week, should we get any responses from our great fans out there, is will you watch the World Cup of Hockey on ESPN? Again, that starts later this week. Johnny made a week two preview, the Bears and the Eagles, Monday Night Football at Soldier Field. Uh, a couple of things here. Biggest concern for you heading into week two, and then give us a preview. Well, I mean, I think the biggest concern is, uh, unfortunately, Zach Ertz has a uh, displaced rib. And that happened in the first quarter of the game, and the guy popped it out. He played all four quarters, so it looks like he's going to miss the next couple of weeks. And when you have a, a rookie quarterback, and you're going into a very tough environment, Soldier Field, home opener for them, you know, you have to have a great safety outlet. I wouldn't say this injury wouldn't be that significant, but you also have to take into the fact that Trey Burns was their third string tight end. He's still nursing a string calf injury. So essentially, you have one healthy tight end. So, I mean, for me, that that's the biggest thing. Like, if you look at Jay Cutler, I hate Jay Cutler. I think he is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the league. And the other thing, if we're going to stay on the injury front, Leotis McKelvin, Eagles starting cornerback, he went out with a hamstring injury. Doesn't look like he's going to play. And the Bears have one dynamic receiver, Alshon Jeffrey. And then they have a guy who's a second-year player, did not play his entire rookie season, guy by the name of Kevin White. So, those are the things that are concerned. Will these receivers make big plays on our very vulnerable secondary? So for me, that that would be the thing that we need to take note of in this game as far as going into week two. All right, what do you got from a preview or prediction standpoint? Listen, there is no doubt in my mind that the Eagles can go in and soldier field and win this game. Like, people think the Bears are not that good. They're not that good. And Jay Cutler, if our defense, and when I say our defense, if the front seven comes up play, and there's one thing that kind of bothered me about the Cleveland game is that I just didn't think our front four brought significant pressure to get him to face our defense. If you knock Cutler down, you're in his face all night, hate the face, the guy seems to fluster, and he will make bad plays. So I really think it's going to come down to the Eagles' defensive line. The other thing is, I know Jim Schwartz doesn't like the blitz, but at the same time, you need to trust your secondary and get to the quarterback. And the final score? Final score, yeah. This can be a little closer than people think, but I said the Eagles win 28-24. All right, good stuff. Here's where I'm going, and uh, I won't take long here because 
the first thing I jotted down for biggest concern was injuries. And and Zach Ertz and Leotis McKelvin are the two, both questionable. Both probably aren't going to play. My guess is both are probably out until after the bye week. You have an early bye. Why not take advantage of it, especially if you're able to win a game like Monday night, jump to 2-0. and Worst case, after the bye, you're 2-2. Two and two. So, um, or I guess 2-1 and because the bye is week four, right? So it's it's the earliest one. So I, I think from that standpoint, the Eagles have to be cautious, especially because Ertz McKelvin are so valuable playing starting roles. Now, the addition of Ron Brooks in the offseason certainly helps their depth there at cornerback, adding McKelvin and, and, and uh, Brooks this summer. The Eric Rowe trade now looks a little bit more suspect because you're down a cornerback, of course. Will Jalen Mills get some more snaps? Probably. Um, so the injury front there for me as you hit on the biggest concern. My game preview and prediction would be this. The Bears dropped that game in Houston on Sunday 23-14. They led for most of the first half and into the third quarter. So they're going to be very motivated not to fall in that 0-2 hole. When you when you go 0-2, the percentages say you don't make the playoffs in the National Football League most times. So most teams that have a fighting chance will play their you-know-what off to avoid that 0-2 hole. However, Jay Cutler was sacked five times on Sunday by the Texans defense, and that didn't really factor. You know, J.J. Watt wasn't a factor in that game against newly signed guard Josh Sitton, formerly of the Packers, a pro bowler that the Bears scooped up as soon as the Packers let him go. So the Bears' offensive line, you know, are they better or worse? Sitton played well. Watt was held in check, but five sacks still on Cutler. And as you touched on, he loves to turn the ball over like Mark Sanchez. So... I think the the Eagles can make some plays on defense here. I think the D leads the charge this week. Carson Wentz is going to have a big day. That's right. I'm on board predicting a big day from Carson Wentz. The extra day going into Monday gives him another day to prepare. I think he makes some plays with his legs. A few big plays late. I agree with you. It's a tight one. I think the Eagles squeak it out 20-16. to 16. And as I said weeks ago, the schedule lined up for this team to start 2-0. Right on, brother. I love it. Let's jump right into On the Fly, Johnny Mita, and then our rant. And I'm going to throw it to you first because you literally could not have laid up this alley-oop any better for me to slam it home here on On the Fly. You often use the term hate the face. And I can't stand the new look, or the look, excuse me, of new Giants head coach Ben McAdoo. So, Johnny Mita, you may have just done this, but give me your biggest current Hate the face guy. Ah, I would say Jay Cutler, but for me, it's Ben Roethlisberger. Really? Ah, ah, I can't stand that guy. You don't like puffy cheeks? I just know the human being he is, and that's the problem, right? I'm not taking away his quarterback talent. Listen, the guy's a great talent, but he is an ass, okay? He's thrown out to multiple bars in Pittsburgh when he was a young buck. He would never tip anybody. I don't get the professional athletes that can't give a $20 tip. Is that really telling you? The other thing is when he went down south to Georgia. Okay, essentially, he was involved in a case, to me, that sounded like flat-out late. And nothing ever came around. Ben Roethlisberger... Can't stand him, don't like him, don't care to the fact that he has a sandwich at Pomani Brothers. Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, roll up on Big Ben. Yuck. 
Hate the face, Big Ben. All right, all right. Have you seen Ben McAdoo, by the way, with his, like, Adolf Hitler mustache that he's got going? No, I haven't seen it. It's atrocious. <laughs> it's atrocious. Uh, and by the way, I think I'd throw, speaking of NFL quarterbacks, hate the face, I think I, Tony Romo goes right in there, by the way. No doubt. All right, what do you got for me? On the fly, bring it. On the fly. My question to you is, Joe, why do you hate Carson Wentz? (laughs) I thought I explained myself very well over the last few months since April. Look, here's my thing, and I was thinking about this on Sunday. Again, I'm not trying to be a hater. I've done that enough in my life. You know, I don't want to be right in spite of the Philadelphia Eagles. It, it, it does. It's not going to bring me enough pride to go, I knew it. I knew this guy couldn't play. Here they are, 2-14. and 14. Like, that's not, that's not fun for anybody, including myself. I didn't like the trade, okay? Maybe it's because I didn't watch enough college football, specifically North Dakota State games, to know a damn thing about Carson Wentz. But I just didn't like the trade because I thought the Eagles, with after they got to number eight, and I said this before, could have picked up an impact player at number eight and been ready to win the division and make the playoffs and 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 try and progress. Now, granted, they fired their head coach. They're starting over in some ways. They felt they had a chance to get the guy. And, you know, I, I just I wasn't on board with the moves to get there. I thought they parted with too much for a guy that I didn't see other teams clamoring for. So was the Eagles brass smarter than everybody else? Time will tell. But I didn't see teams at number four, number five, number 10, number 20 trying to get up to where they could draft Carson Wentz like he was the next Andrew Luck. And, you know, I don't like gingers. So between those two things, there you have it. All right. Good deal. Hey, <laughs> so let me let me ask you this, though. All seriousness. Yeah. If the yeah. Eagles had gotten up to number one, I know this is revisionist history, but there was yeah. talk that they were trying to get the number one pick well before they even got number two, before the Rams got yeah. the number one pick. Would they have taken yeah. Jared Goff? I think when you break it down, if you look at the two, and I know Jared Goff, he played at a different level, I still would have taken Carson. No, but what the, what would the Eagles have done, though? You think Wentz was their guy that. the whole way, and they thought if we get the one, we get whoever we want? Exactly. And then when yeah, the Rams right. got the one, they said, well, let's just hope they don't take Wentz, basically, or what? What if they had taken Wentz? Yeah. What if the Rams changed their mind a week out and took Wentz? It would have been brutal because I'm just – I don't think Derek Goff's that good. All right. I'm sorry. No. I'm, you looked at the hint. You're not offending me. I don't, I don't give a damn. Yeah, just look at the history of Pac-10 quarterbacks. Well, now it's the Pac-12. Look at the history. You name me one good Pac-10, Pac-12 quarterback in the last 10 years. Mark Sanchez. <laughs> All right. The only one that I think has hope is Marcus Mariota. Other than that, it's just junk. Junk. Fair enough. So, Where is uh and, and, and listen, listen, and when they drafted went, I told everybody, I guarantee you they got the better quarterback. And how do you think the Cleveland Browns are feeling right now? There's somebody in their scouting department. Or it could be the entire management brand saying, oh, we never think this guy will be a top 20 quarterback. Yeah. I don't think they're feeling too good right now, my man. That's all. Hey, so I could be wrong here because I don't, yeah. you know, all this shifting of college football and whatnot, but didn't, yeah. I mean, Andrew Luck played at Stanford. Aren't they Pac-10, Pac-12? 
Okay. All right. All, all right. right. You're right. All right. Right. I'm with that, you. Yo, you're right. You're right. Mo- <laughs> there are like, certain conferences. Two guys yeah. out of the last decade. Yeah, there's certain there's conferences. Not one person that succeeded at USC. Yes. Who you can say this guy's a pro? Yes. Matt Leiner fizzled out. Matt it. Barkley stunk. Sanchez had a cup of coffee. Oh. Is being legit. Yeah, I'm with you. There's certain oh. conferences in in college football seem to produce. Better coaches, better D linemen, better cornerbacks, better quarterbacks, whatever. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, I know you're fired up about your rant, so why don't you kick us off? All right. So, my rant of the week has to go to the NFL. The NFL, and I'm speaking from Roger Goodell and going down. Okay. Let's look at the opening week. You know, we had Denver versus Carolina. Okay. Denver played one of the dirtiest games I've ever seen. They were taking headshots at Cam Newton, okay? The guy kept getting crucified by some of the most brutal hits that I've ever seen on a quarterback. And everybody talks about, oh, we got to protect our quarterback. We got to protect. Well, when the referee did Cam Newton no favors, and there was one call in the game where he gets pretty much decapitated. But due to the fact that the ball didn't go past the line of scrimmage, basically the penalties were offset where I think you got to take the greater penalty there, which was him getting decapitated, and it should have been an automatic first down. But the big factor that I'm going to look at, and you had that great movie, which was you know, starred by Will Smith, King Cousins. You know, the NFL keeps talking about and preaching about Okay, so now they've hired an independent neurologist specialist that's not employed by any team. No, they are employed by the NFL, and they took the they take a look at the players that come off the sidelines after a big shot. Okay, but the real problem lies is the fact that the NFL team doctor has the final say. And when they should go in. That is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Cam Noon probably shouldn't or not went back in the game. And due to the fact that Team Dodgers said, hey, Coach, yeah, Cam Noon's all fucked. Yeah, he should probably go back in the game. Ridiculous. The other thing I'm going to talk about the NFL is they're so on their high horse about this damn dress code. Okay. If one player is wearing black cleats, and the entire team is wearing white cleats. Yeah, they're going to issue out fines and everything else. There were several players in the league that wanted to wear these Nike cleats that gave an outstanding tribute, you know, to the people of 9-11, armed forces. They just wanted to say, hey, look, you know, it's 15 years later. We just want to acknowledge all the people that lost their lives, our military, patriotism. And the NFL have the balls to say, if you wear those cleats, we're going to find you. Now, there's one player in the entire NFL. He's a linebacker from the Tennessee Titans. His name is Avery Williamson. He said, you know what? You're going to find me. I don't give a crap. I'm going to wear them anyway. And the NFL has now come out and said, you know, we're not going to find that player. There are people in the Titans organization that said, if you do get fined by the NFL, which is totally illegal, we will pay your fine. But they're so so ridiculous on their high horse. 
It's like with D'Angelo Williams, right? With his hair color, he has the frosted pink tips because his mom, you know, battled breast cancer. And they made a huge stink after it. Then they had him on a commercial. The NFL with their politics regarding the uniform code gives me a break. When you look at a situation like how Colin Kaepernick is making a stand, this guy wanted to wear Avery Williams and wanted to wear a pair of cleats to acknowledge patriotism, unity, and then the NFL is going to find this guy. The NFL is just so ridiculous. They're mad everybody. Just you should be ashamed of yourself. You're just yeah. Make someone throw up, man. I'm just tired of them just having all these rules. And it's not like these guys are making a statement where it's like against everybody else. It's not like uh, it's just ridiculous. I hear you, man. And and you bring up some good points. They're a billion, billion, billion dollar industry, multi billion dollar industry, and and they call the shots. And I didn't see that about the cleats, but it's a great point you bring up uh, between the concussion protocol and their their pompous attitude that they run the show. And it all starts, you pointed out, with the commissioner, Roger Goodell. So good stuff there. All right, uh, my rant. Uh, a few weeks back, we talked about Colin Kaepernick and his decision not to stand for the national anthem. Uh, at the time, I ripped Colin Kaepernick. And, and even though a lot has transpired since then, from the good... Kaepernick vowing to donate a million dollars to organizations that are going to help facilitate real change in our society. To the bad, news breaking that earlier in the summer he wore socks, Kaepernick did, with pigs and police hats on them. I'm still not on his bandwagon. So there's some good and there's some bad since since we first talked about this and the story first broke. And more athletes have jumped on board in various sports and whatnot. But I'm not on the bandwagon for Kaepernick. My stance hasn't changed and here's why. I was watching SportsCenter this morning. The sound was off. But I noticed that the Seattle Seahawks approached the anthem in a way that I found a much better, I don't even want to say protest, but just a much better way of garnering attention, raising awareness. Did anyone else see this? I mean, the the Seattle Seahawks stood arm in arm, right? Everybody on their team, their coaches, their trainers, right on down the line. They had the flag out there like they did at the link, the huge flag. uh, And the Seahawks stood arm in arm. And, and to me, that, that showed, you know, they were a unified group. And, and couldn't that have been Colin Kaepernick's approach? Meaning, couldn't he have urged his teammates to uh, to stand with him arm in arm? Uh, and then I'm sure that would have gained some, some recognition in the media, on Twitter, whatever, where there would have been some questions post-game. Hey, what was that about? Asking some of the Niners players. Or he could have taken to social media in his press conference post-game uh, you know, the first time he had this stance and said, here's why we stood arm in arm. Because to me, that's a much more respectful way. It's something different. Hands not over the chest, but you're still standing. You're sh- still showing your patriotism and your arm in arm. We're a group. We're in this together for change, right? It- it's-, it's supposed to be about change. So if you're Colin Kaepernick, rather than being selfish and an individual and doing what he did, which was sit and now eventually kneel, to me, I would have liked it much more if he had done what the Seahawks eventually did, which is stand as a group arm in arm, which is enough of a way of showing solidarity and unity, but still respecting the flag and the country that you live in. And and if he had done that, if he had done this a different way, or at least, like I said a few weeks back, made a statement, set up a one-on-one interview, used a press conference as a forum 
I think we'd still be at the same point. He still could have started the conversation, but done it more respectfully and tastefully for the country where he lives, where he was raised, and and a country that has afforded him the opportunity to make millions upon millions of dollars. Instead, this donkey Colin Kaepernick, last night on Monday Night Football, is on one knee, not even uttering, not even uttering one word of the Star Spangled Banner, from what I could tell. While his teammates next to him, he's got one that joined him on a knee. And the rest are standing. So he continues to be a distraction for his team, even though he's not even a starting quarterback. And he continues, in my opinion, to disrespect what the national anthem is all about. So Colin Kaepernick, you're an idiot. I'll say it again and again and again. You went about it the wrong way. I love it, brother. Anyway. Get on out of here. Good stuff. SoundCloud.com, iTunes. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Go birds, baby. Johnny Mita, you're the man. All right, Brian. Always a lot of fun, man. I love it. All right, we're back at it. Hopefully next week. Got some crazy travel coming up. Hockey season's around the corner. But uh, anyway, go birds. Till next time. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.